Good afternoon. My name is Lisa, and I'll be your conference today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Cadence Second Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Speakers' remarks will be in an answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, that please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. I'll now turn the call over to Richard Gu, Vice President relations for cadence please go ahead thank you operator i would like to welcome everyone to our second quarter of 2023 earnings conference call i'm joined today by honored devgan president and chief executive officer and john wall senior vice president and chief financial officer the webcast of this call and a copy of today's prepared remarks will be available on our website cadence.com Today's discussion will contain forward-looking statements, including our outlook on future business and operating results. Due to risks and uncertainties, actual results may differ materially from those projected or implied in today's discussion. For information on factors that could cause actual results to differ, please refer to our SEC filings, including our most recent Forms 10-K and 10-Q, CFO commentary, and today's earnings release. All forward-looking statements during this call are based on estimates and information available to us as of today, and we disclaim any obligation to update them. In addition, we present certain non-GAAP measures, which should not be considered in isolation from or as a substitute for GAAP results. Reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures are included in today's earnings release. For the Q&A session today, would ask that you observe a limit of one question and one follow-up. Now, I'll turn the call over to Anurud. Thank you, Richard. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Cadence delivered excellent financial results for the second quarter of 2023, with strong ongoing customer demand for our innovative technology. We exceeded our guidance on all key metrics and are raising our financial outlook for the year yet again, resulting in 14% year-over-year revenue growth and 19% non-GAAP EPS growth. John will provide more details shortly on both our Q2 results and the updated outlook for the year. With its unparalleled promise, generative AI is beginning to make a significant impact globally. Our dedicated focus on AI over the past several years, combined with our computational software expertise and invaluable data that lies at the core of AI, it uniquely positions us to deliver to this tremendous potential of this transformational technology. With escalating design complexity, increasing design start, and a growing talent shortage, AI-driven design automation is crucial in empowering customers to fully realize their innovation potential. Our customers are increasingly adopting our chip, package, board, system, generative AI portfolio as they are achieving exceptional quality of results and productivity benefits with these solutions. Customers are ramping up their R&D spend in AI-driven automation, opening up significant opportunities for Cadence. 
Our solutions are enabling marquee AI infrastructure platform companies to deliver their next generation compute, networking, and memory products. For instance, in his Computex keynote earlier this quarter, Jensen Wong of NVIDIA noted that NVIDIA is a big Cadence customer and commented on the expanding strategic partnership between NVIDIA and Cadence to accelerate EDA, system analysis, AI, and digital biology. Cadence has successfully collaborated with Tesla on the development of their game-changing Dojo AI supercomputer. Tesla utilized a broad array of Cadence solutions across digital, custom analog, verification, 2.5D and 3D IC and system analysis for developing Dojo chips and solutions. We are very excited to extend our partnership to Tesla's next generation Dojo and FSD platform. Our customers like Tesla are able to leverage the power of revolutionary Cadence Cerebrus generative AI technology to optimize the quality of results of their groundbreaking AI chips and related solutions. And from a product perspective, we begin by providing AI-driven solutions for core ED applications, then expanded our AI portfolio to include system design and analysis, and plan to extend it to life sciences in the future. With AI as their underpinning, other generational trends such as hyperscale computing, 5G, and autonomous driving continue to spur robust design activity across semi and system companies, creating ample market opportunities for our differentiated technology portfolio. Now let's talk about our key highlights for Q2. In Q2, we deepened our long-standing partnership with a marquee electronic system company through a broad-ranging expansion of our core EDA, hardware, IP, and systems portfolio. Emulation and prototyping have become a must-have part of the chip tape-out and software bring-up flows, and secular demand for our hardware platforms drove our verification business in Q2 to a 27% year-over-year revenue growth. Following a record 2022 and Q1 23, our Palladium Z2 and Proteum X2 hardware platforms delivered a record Q2 as market demand accelerated for these best-in-class solutions. With 14 new customers and 45 repeat customers, more than half the orders during the quarter included both platforms. Demand for our hardware solutions was broad-based, with particular strengths seen in AI, hyperscale computing, and automotive segments. A global communication services leader successfully deployed the Z2 and X2 systems to significantly accelerate the development of their data center chips for internal use, including those designed for AI applications. Our hardware platform enabled them to accelerate their verification workload and software bring up, enabling 
first-class silicon and software success. Vericium, our AI-driven verification platform that's built upon the JEDI database and natively integrated with our verification engine is gaining traction at market-shaping customers. For instance, a large mobile chip company is working with us on developing a new Vericium regression optimization app, and a Japanese semi-customer is actively deploying Vericium apps across his automotive SOC and already saw a 4x improvement in the identification of erroneous source code check-ins. Our digital IC business had another solid quarter with 15% year-over-year revenue growth, largely driven by proliferation of our digital full flow, especially at the most advanced nodes at market-shaping customers. Our Cadence Cerebra solution leverages breakthrough AI-driven technology to explore the entire design space and automatically optimize the digital full flow to deliver transformational results. Adoption and proliferation of Cadence Cerebrus accelerated. And with multiple new marquee wins, is now deployed at eight of our top 10 customers. A leading hyperscaler doubled their run rate through a major expansion that included our digital full flow and Cadence Cerebrus. Another market-shaping hyperscaler successfully used our digital full flow and Cadence Cerebrus to achieve a 16% leakage power reduction on their latest custom silicon. And Socionex achieved 2 to 3x better productivity with our new Jules RTL Design Studio through analysis efficiency and significantly reduced iterations between RTL and implementation. On IT, our scalable and profitable growth strategy continues benefiting from ongoing outsourcing trend, as well as the opportunities offered by expanding foundry ecosystem. Demand for our design IP was strong, led by our multi-year agreement with Samsung Foundry to expand the availability of our design IP portfolio for Samsung's advanced process technologies. We signed a definitive agreement with Rambus to acquire their Phi IP asset along with the talented team. The addition of their leading HBM, GDDR5 solutions, and Serdi's IP enhances our established IP portfolio, providing complete subsystem solutions for demanding networking, hyperscaler, and AI applications. Our system design and analysis business continued its strong momentum in Q2, delivering 23% year-over-year revenue growth. With Moore's Law slowing down and chip complexity and cost increasing, companies are looking to multi-die 3DIC and chiplet-based architectures to achieve better performance and greater cost savings. In Q2, we expanded our collaboration with Samsung Foundry through the delivery of reference flows and package design kits based on our uniquely differentiated Integrity 3DIC platform 
the industry's only unified platform that includes system planning, packaging, and system level analysis in a single cockpit. Our multi-physics solution, boosted by our optimality generative AI technology, leverage differentiated system simulation and optimization techniques to deliver superior results. Our CFD portfolio that includes recently acquired high fidelity simulation technology, won large renewals and add-on business with top aerospace and defense companies. We were pleased with the new wins and growing repeat orders for our multi-physics portfolio from customers across multiple end markets. In summary, I'm pleased with our Q2 results and the continuing momentum of our business. AI-driven automation in chip and system design offers massive opportunities for Cadence over the long term that seamlessly align with our computational software core competence and intelligent system design strategy. We continue to invest in our world-class EDA system design and analysis and AI capabilities to deliver cutting edge innovation to our customers and partners. Now I will turn it over to John to provide more details on the Q2 results and our updated 2023 outlook. Thanks Anarud and good afternoon everyone. I'm pleased to report that Cadence achieved strong results for the second quarter of 2023, driven by the broad-based strength of our business. Our customers are increasingly adopting our generative AI portfolio as they are achieving exceptional quality of results and productivity benefits with these solutions. Here are some of the financial highlights from the second quarter, starting with the P&L. Total revenue was $977 million. GAAP operating margin was 30.7%, and non-GAAP operating margin was 41.8%. GAP EPS was $0.81, cents and non-GAP EPS was $1.22. Next, turning to the balance sheet and cash flow, cash balance at quarter end was $874 million, while the principal value of debt outstanding was $650 million. Operating cash flow was $414 million, and we used $325 million to repurchase Cadence shares in Q2. We are increasing our outlook for the remainder of the year due to continued broad-based strength across our technology portfolio. Demand for our functional verification hardware solutions remained particularly strong, and as a result, our updated outlook for the second half of the year reflects approximately 15% revenue growth compared to the second half of last year. Before I provide our updated outlook for the year and our expectations for Q3, I'd like to highlight that our outlook contains our usual assumption that the export control regulations that exist today remain substantially similar for the remainder of the year. Our updated outlook for fiscal 2023 is revenue in the range of $4.05 to $4.09 billion. Gap operating margin in the range of 30.2 to 31.2%. Non-gap operating margin in the range of 41.2 to 42.2%. GAP EPS 
in the range of $3.35 to $3.41. Non-GAAP EPS in the range of $5.05 to $5.11. Operating cash flow in the range of $1.3 to $1.4 billion. And we expect to use at least 50% of our annual free cash flow to repurchase Cadence shares. A large number of hardware systems are slated for delivery in late September and early October. For the purposes of providing our outlook for Q3, which ends on September 30th, we thought it was prudent to assume that the vast majority of those hardware deliveries fall into October and Q4. With that in mind, for Q3 we expect revenue in the range of $990 million to $1.01 billion. Gap operating margin of approximately 29%, non-GAAP operating margin of approximately 40%, GAAP EPS in the range of 76 to 80 cents, non-GAAP EPS in the range of $1.18 to $1.22, and we expect to use approximately $125 million of cash to repurchase Cadence shares. As usual, We've published a CFO commentary document on our investor relations website, which includes our outlook for additional items, as well as further analysis and gap to non-gap reconciliations. In conclusion, we delivered a strong Q2 and first half of the year. With the increase in our outlook, at the midpoint, we now expect revenue growth for the year to exceed 14%, which would take our three-year revenue CAGR to approximately 15% and non-GAAP EPS growth of approximately 19%, which would result in an average annual growth rate of 22% over the past three years. As always, I'd like to close by thanking our customers, partners, and our employees for their continued support. And with that, operator, we will now take questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone who wants to ask a question to please press star than the number one on your telephone keypad. Please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Jason Salino with Keeping Capital Markets. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my question. John Anarud, uh, good quarter. I think if we take a step back, you know, up 14% for the year, still pretty impressive. Um, sounds like hardware at another record quarter and was up 27%. But I think some investors will still wonder, you know, could it have been even better? Um, maybe can you speak to any areas that maybe weren't as strong that you were hoping or or how do we kind of level set the, the performance? Yeah, hi, Jason. Good question. You know, in general, you know, we, we manage our business for the long term and we are pretty positive with the results. You know, for the full year, like you mentioned, more than 14% revenue growth, and earnings are growing at 19%. And then our strategy of doing EDA plus SDA plus AI with the computational software expertise. So I think overall, we're pretty pleased with how all the businesses are performing and, uh, you know, continue to, to drive on all fronts, working with customers and partners to deliver the right solution. Yeah, Jason, as Andrew says, we're, we're very happy with, very pleased with the first half performance. Um, if there's anything unusual, essentially, in the numbers for the first half, I, I think one, one unusual thing for me would probably be the op operating cash 
is flat in our guide to last quarter, and that's because, as Andrew says, you know, we, we manage the business for the long term. There's an opportunity. Uh, we've, we've had some opportunities to build inventory. We've, we've had very strong hardware demand, so we need to buy inventory. And we were offered some um, uh, larger discounts for payment up front. So we embedded that into the guidance. It'll help us with gross margins in future years, but it doesn't help with operating cash for this year. Gotcha. And then my quick follow-up, uh, the IP acquisition from Rambus. Um, is it included in guidance? And then maybe can you speak to strategic rationale? I guess what goes into the decision, build versus buy, as it relates to IP? Thanks. Yes, Jason. So everything we know is included in our guidance, but it's uh, it's immaterial to us for the year. Yeah, and it's a great opportunity for us to acquire a very good set of IPs and a talented team. And you know what is particularly good in this case is that it is a existing you know commercial operation. You know sometimes we have opportunity to acquire teams from you know other semiconductor companies, but in this case it was an existing commercial operation with key IPs like. Uh, you know, HBM and GDDR. So we took that opportunity and we're glad to, you know, uh, partner with Rambus here. And it really helps, uh, you know, IP for AI and 3DIC with HBM and, and, and DDR IPs. So overall, I think it's a, it's, it's a good, good acquisition and we continue to invest in all our businesses, you know, including IP. Excellent, excellent, thank you both. We'll take our next question from Charles Shi with Needham & Company. Hi, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, um, first, I wanna ask about bookings, then I have a follow-up on, on hardware. Um, um, so, Jiang or Anirudh, are you guys still seeing uh, strong bookings potential in the second half. Uh, I definitely saw your bookings, implied bookings are actually already up in Q2, but uh, I think people are probably accustomed to like a 1 billion plus per quarter kind of bookings. Um, so when can we get to that back, back to that level? Do you still expect the second half bookings to be as strong as let's say maybe first half 22? Thank you. Yes, Charles, great question. Um, yes, we'd, we'd expect a stronger second half for, for bookings. Uh, as we said last quarter, the, um, we, we had very few contracts expiring in the first half of this year, and we have more contracts expiring in the second half uh, of, of 2023. Um, so the, we'd expect bookings to be um, higher in the second half compared to the first. Um, when we look at backlog, we filed our 10Q, by the way, so you'll, you'll see our, our backlog at, at the end of Q2 dropped from 5.4 billion to 5.3 billion. And, and RPO at the end of Q2 dropped from 5 billion at the end of Q1 to 4.9 billion. But the current value of that RPO, the annual value, as you know, backlog and RPO is a combination of the annual value um, multiplied by the time, essentially, that you've, you've contracted with customers. Uh, and our current RPO is up from last quarter. It was 2.7 billion last quarter. It's up to 2.8 billion this quarter. So we've improved the annual value, and that's that's typically what we focus on, making sure we're improving the annual value. Um, but yeah, we're we're very very pleased with the bookings performance for Q2. It was um, it was slightly stronger than we had anticipated or expected, and um, second half we think will be better again. Yeah. Well, so uh, is it safe for us to for for you guys to call? Maybe uh, Q1 was 
probably the 12th in terms of booking, and uh, we are way past that uh, going forward. Yes, yeah, Q1 was, was definitely um, a, a low bookings quarter for us. Um, uh, Q, Q2, Q2 was a lot stronger. Got it. Uh, maybe a, a, a follow-up question around hardware. Um, uh, you you kind of said uh, for Q4, you're expecting a good amount of uh, hardware revenue. Maybe it's parked in Q4, but uh, when, when folks look at your four-year guidance, your Q4 isn't really up by a lot. They imply the guidance for Q4. Um, but given uh, you just said that the bookings are expecting relatively strong I would think that the ratable part of the business should uh, should see a very strong sequential growth into Q4. But uh, uh, but the uh, and the layer on top of the hardware strength you you are expecting in Q4. Can you kind of uh, reconcile uh, what you guided for Q4 versus the commentary you made about hardware and the bookings? Thank you. Yes, Charles. I think you're referring to the the, the step up from Q3 to Q4 in our guide. Um, so we're guiding about a billion dollars of revenue in Q3, with a balance of just over a billion seventy million uh, in Q4. Um, now that's that's slightly exaggerated the Q3 to Q4 step up. I mean, when we originally looked at the the top-down forecast for, for the second half, there was a lower step up in, in revenue, mainly due to uh, software um, increases in, in annual value in, in, in software bookings that we expect. Um, but when we looked at the hardware and the timing of when hardware deliveries happen, and, and there's so many that fall late in the quarter, we thought it was prudent to assume that those bookings, um, we should include them in our implied Q4 guidance, so to speak, rather than including it in Q3, because I'm not really sure about the timing of, of those. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. We'll take our next question from Vivek Arya with Bank of America. Hi, this is Blake Friedman. I'm from Avec. Uh, just wanted to start out if you could provide some insight on how you quantify benefits from AI. Just looking at the semiconductor landscape, there have been several AI-related design programs that started a few years ago. So would you say you've already seen the benefits in your financials, or should we expect even more growth acceleration in the future? And if you would comment on the attach rate of your AI-enabled products to baseline contracts, that would be helpful. Thanks. Yes, so AI has multiple implications uh, for us. You know, the first part is, you know, we enable the development of AI systems, right? This is more like a horizontal application. So like we talked about our partnership with, with NVIDIA and there are all other companies building AI systems. Like we talked about Today, our partnership with uh, with Tesla, which is building both you know server side AI and and you know on the on the car AI, and then other kind of data center companies. Um, so that's a and we are in a unique position to supply to all the whether it's GPU or data center or automotive applications of AI to do the AI build out, and that I think is still is still continuing. You know, there'll be more and more systems designed and and our tools and IP can play a key role in that. So that's kind of the first application. Uh, and I, I believe we are still in the beginning stages of that kind of build out and monetization. And then the second part would be more vertical, you know, applying it to our own products. Uh, so we have, you know, Jedi AI platform, which is the, with a unique position as a, as a, 
kind of a data platform for AI, and then five unique uh, AI applications, all the way from analog, digital, verification, you know, package and board and systems. So I believe we have the most comprehensive product portfolio for, you know, chip package system design. And that also, I think we are in the early stages, but we are seeing a lot of adoption of those kind of vertical applications. And we are also using them internally. You know, we design our own chips for Palladium systems, right? And then, of course, we have a big application engineering team that work with customers. So not only we are providing solutions uh, to our customers and partners on EDA and SDA, but we are also using them internally and seeing good benefits. And then the third part, which is more out in the future, you know, I think AI will also drive new kind of applications. And one of the biggest ones uh, is definitely going to be life sciences. So we are laying the groundwork for that, you know, with our open eye and, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to apply their AI there in digital biology, which will pay out in the next, you know, five to 10 years. So for all these kind of three big, you know, there's a horizontal uh, play for building out the AI systems. GPUs and data center, other things, vertical plate of EDA and system, you know, both to our customers and ourselves and emerging areas that will emerge in life sciences. So overall, I feel we are very well positioned to really capitalize on this mega trend. Yeah, and Blake, to answer your revenue question, essentially, I mean, I, I think it's clear that it's showing up quickly in the hardware space. We, we feel on the software side, it'll probably take a couple of contract cycles for that to flow through. We're seeing strength in pockets on the on the hard on the software side um uh but the software side because it's it's recurring in revenue will take a, a while to, to play through but you, you're definitely seeing the impact of ai and in, in hardware strong hardware demands got it helpful and then just quickly as a follow-up uh hoping we can discuss your capital allocation policy uh, as well just given the pretty solid cash cash position and significant cash generation of the company is there any interest in allocating more cash towards share of purchases? And also, if you could comment on uh, you know any interest in issuing a dividend in the future as well. Yeah, Blake. Um, yeah, we look at that all the time in terms of our, our cash allocation policy. In, in Q2, we used 325 million dollars on stock repurchases. 200 million of that was due to an accelerated share repurchase. Now, the the timing of that was uh, to coincide with. Uh, was was timed deliberately to coincide with our um, merit and promotion cycle. Uh, you, might, you might have noticed as well in, in our guide that you know expenses take a step up and margins slightly down second half compared to first half. That's because our, our um, pay rise and promotion cycle kicks in on July 1st at, at Cadence, and that's typically when we do our stock refresh um, for for employees in the company. And because we grant a lot of stock at that time of the year, we. we uh, uh, in our um, stock repurchase uh, approach, we want to make sure that we're offsetting the dilution first, and, and then um, ideally we want to reduce that share count over time. You know, we've talked about dividends with the board from time to time, but we think it makes most sense to use our excess cash for stock repurchases. Our, our policy is essentially to, to use at least 50% of free cash flow to repurchase shares, um, repurchase our shares, and that should off, off, more than offset dilution see the um, share count continues to decline over time um, and, and gives us enough to grow the business. Great, thank you. No worries. We'll take our next question from Jay Fleeshower with Griffin Securities. Uh, thank you, good evening. Um, 
business question first, then a yeah, technology question is the follow-up. Um, so, Anirudh, as you know, for the last couple of years, we've often spoken about how semiconductor companies and systems customers have become increasingly alike. Uh, the question, though, is in what important ways <clears throat> do they remain dissimilar uh, in terms of um, sales cycles, um, conversion of RPO to revenue, services requirements, account profitability, anything you care to mention that um, continues to distinguish uh, those two classes of customers? Yeah, Jay, I mean, like you also written, right? I mean, the semi companies are becoming system companies, and system companies are becoming semi companies, and and you know some you know traditional semi companies are you know much more system companies now with with software, and you know a lot of traditional system companies are are doing a lot of semi. You know, one of the big several big semis are done in system companies. So there are a lot of similarities. You know, you're asking in terms of differences. I mean, I guess one key difference has to be that the system companies, by definition, have hardware and software together. You know, you are a system company because you have software and also have electrical and mechanical together. I mean, a good example is a car, right? It's a merging of electronics and mechanical, and it's a merging of hardware and software. So for that reason, I think, uh, you know, like the strength we talked about in the hardware business, a lot of it is not just for chip design, it is for software bring up. And we are seeing that in AI applications, uh, you know, a lot of the software has to be built along with the, <clears throat> with the hardware. And even for, you know, even for, uh, you know, NVIDIA, which is a traditionally semi-company, has a lot of software, of course, CUDA. And then a lot of the data companies that are doing their own chips have a lot of software. So I think the enablement of software becomes key. Uh, and the other thing is this merger of, of uh, electrical and mechanical. That's why our whole investment, you know, in system design and analysis, in thermal simulation, which is a big thing for, for data centers and cars, you know, electromagnetics, you know, CFD. So, so the key thing I think is is the unique is different is hardware plus software and electrical plus mechanical. Now in some cases we do do you know strategic services for some system companies to get them started, and I think that's also a unique difference. So sometimes we will provide help them to get going with with chip development. So I would say Jay, these are probably three big differences uh, compared to. But it's good to see the growth in the semis too. You know we are happy to have a whole new market with system companies, but we still love our, all our semi-customers and they're doing phenomenal, you know, and we are partnering with them in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Okay, um, as the uh, technology follow-up at um, DAC two weeks ago, there was a quite interesting presentation by Cadence um, at the conference um, related to AI and there was the, uh, the use of a very interesting new uh, with regard to uh, productivity or where productivity is going to come from uh, in future for, for EDA. And that term uh, used by Cadence was task abstraction, so a new kind of abstraction from the decades of abstraction we've seen in EDA for the last, well, many years. Um, so how are you manifesting that new concept of abstraction in terms of product development, packaging, all those sorts of things going forward? since that, that term uh, seems to be very much uh, a critical part of your thinking going forward for EDA productivity. 
Yeah, Jay, you know, if you step back, right, you look at, you know, fundamental innovations, of course, we have a lot, we talk about a lot of things, but, you know, if you look at mathematics or computer science, I mean, there are two big innovations. One is abstraction, the other is parallelism. And, you know, history of EDA is moving up the abstraction layer, right, from all the way from polygons to transistors to gates to RTL. And and also parallelism. You know, the last ten years, you know, I think if you look at EDA history of EDA, it started with abstraction first, as you know, and then in the last ten years, it went back to more parallelism with use of cloud computing and CPUs. But with this AI, there is opportunity to do more abstraction. You know, move even higher levels. You know, basically the real opportunity is to automate mundane tasks. Right. So what was done by the user can be done by the AI engine. So abstraction will provide in the end a lot of automation and productivity improvement. And we are seeing that, you know, we can apply it to even technology, design technology, co-design, you know, DTCO with leading foundries. We can apply AI to, you know, <clears throat> design of floor planning and, uh, you know, higher level functions, which were particularly previously manual applied to 3D IC partitioning with integrity. So overall, this theme of applying AI, doing more abstraction, doing more of the mundane work and let the user focus on higher level tasks and be more productive is only the beginning of that and is enabled in all these aspects, you know, di digital verification, system design and so on. So, okay, thank you. Our next question comes from Ruben Roy with Stiefel. Thank you. Uh, Anurud, if I could start from where you left off there. I had a question similar to Jay's, but I was wondering, I think you mentioned that Cerebras with AI was deployed at eight of your top 10 customers. And just wondering today, can you talk about how AI is being used? Is it mostly place and route, um, or are you seeing some of these other areas uh, being implemented in leading edge designs, whether it's you know packaging or or even you know some of the you know, floor planning, et cetera? You know, how how um, how far along are we? It's getting pretty pervasive. I mean, the first thing I'm certain of now, you know, compared to like two years ago, you know, we started on this journey two three years ago in terms of working with Cerebras and our our customers. You know, one thing I'm positive now is that. You know, a few years from now, almost all our customers will be using these tools because they are. It's almost like a irreversible trend. Uh, and then, you know, Cerebras or Place and Route was the first one in some ways, so it has you know a lot of adoption. But it is extending to, like I mentioned, you know, working with foundries, working with you know floor planning, higher level functions, verification. See, in the end, I do believe verification will have a most profound impact within EDA on AI will be on verification because it's an unbounded NP complete problem, right? So you can do more and more verification you've never done. So that's why you see us investing heavily in, in Vericium. And you know, we are the first to apply AI to verification. We talked about a couple of examples with customers in the prepared remarks. And then the other thing uh, is, you know, areas that traditionally haven't had a lot of automation, like like package and PCB. So with Allegro X AI, you know, that area has not seen automation for like 20, 30 years. For the first time, it's possible with AI. And then in system simulation, see the system area. Now EDA by its nature has had a 30-year history of optimization and automation. Now it was not with it was more with classical techniques and now with AI. 
But if you look at the system area, like CFD or electromagnetics, you know, they could barely simulate stuff, forget optimizing it. So not only now we can simulate things, you know, because our algorithms are faster and we are also accelerating them on, on GPUs and all to give massive speed up on system simulation. So now for the first time, you can simulate a very, very high fidelity simulation of the whole car. But then on top of it, you know, optimality and AI, you can do the design of the car or the shape of the wing, which is what in the end the user wants, right? They just don't want to simulate. And all this applies exactly to this big market of SDNA. So I think that's a huge opportunity. And we're already seeing that. Like even with the, some of the, uh, you know, car companies we work with, we can optimize the shape of the wing. You know, that affects performance like for, for a racing car if we're using AI. So we already have pretty promising results, and we will talk more about that in the future. So I would say that, first of all, I think it will be deployed across all these platforms. It started with PNR, but already we are seeing a lot of potential. And in the end, in EDA, the huge potential will be verification. And the other area I'm very optimistic is system simulation and AI. Thanks very much, Anirudh, for that. Um, quick follow-up for John. Uh, just on operating margin, uh, down a little bit in Q3 with what sounds to me like hardware, um, you know, kind of uh, strengthening towards the end of the quarter and obviously into Q4. Uh, how are you thinking about that, or how should we think about operating margin and, you know, sort of the moving parts in between Q3? You've bumped it up a little bit for the full year, so if you can help us out on how you're thinking about operating margin in the context of hardware attach rates going up, you know, as you exit the year, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Great question. But uh, as you saw, I think the first half was we were roughly just just under 42%, I think, for, for non-GAAP operating margin. Um, for the second half, the guide essentially implies 41 to 42% uh, operating margin. Now, it's slightly down, as it has been the last few years in the second half compared to the first half, but, but that's because uh, July 1st is our merit cycle. That's when we do pay rises and promotions. Um, and generally pay increases, you know, the, the vast majority of our expense base is people and engineers, uh, about 90% of the employees are engineers. So the pay increases uh, impact us from the first day of, of Q3, and that step up in cost is really the, the headwind you're seeing um, for the, from Q3. When you compare Q3 and Q4 combined, or second half uh, compared to the first half. Now, I, I've exaggerated that a little bit by being prudent with the, the Q1 or Q3 guide um, on the hardware side, because um, there's a number of hardware systems that are scheduled to be delivered in, in late September. Um, and late September is a holiday period. Uh, sorry, late September, early October is a holiday period in, uh, in China and other parts of Asia. Um, and I'm just worried that some of those will slip to Q4. So I've, I've assumed the vast majority of them slip to Q4 in the guide just to be prudent. Um, and, and that, of course, is impacting um, the operating margin that we're showing in the guide for uh, for Q3, but but I think if you look at the second half as a whole, generally it's it's 41 to 42 percent for the second half when you, when you take out the impact of of that prudence. Got it. It makes sense. Thank you, John. Thanks. We'll take our next question from Blair Abernethy with Rosenblatt Securities. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. A, a great quarter. Um, just wanted to uh, dive in a little bit on China. Um, you know, the growth this quarter on a year-over-year -year basis was uh, quite strong. And anything you'd, uh, any uh, color you could give there on on, uh, on what's driving that and, and how this uh, how this continues um, would would be helpful. 
And secondly, just on uh, back on the hardware side, uh, John, uh, just you've commented in the past about your production capacity ramping up. Just wondering where you're at uh, mid-year here and, and how lead times are, are, are doing. Yeah, I'll start first and then John can comment on, on the inventory. But overall, China, you know, we are pleased to see, you know, continuing strong design activity in all kinds of, you know, end markets. And also good strength for, for hardware business. So we've also had a good hardware business in China. And, you know, particularly in Q2, I would say there was a lot of strength from, uh, from mobile, uh, vertical, you know, a lot of companies, you know, some big system companies designing their own, own chips. And also automotive, especially EV automotive in China was particularly strong. So, I mean, China is a, just like the rest of the world, is pretty diverse market, and and we play in all aspects of it. But those two verticals were pretty strong in China. John, you want to... Yeah, and, and uh, in terms of your, your question in relation to um, lead times, I think, um, at the start of the year, you know, we, we ramped up production capacity because lead times had exceeded 26 weeks. And, and we thought that's going to hurt us when we're uh, competing for, for hardware business. Um, we put a big dent in that in Q1. We ramped up production capacity. We kept it at those levels for Q2 and intend to keep it at the, the higher uh, production levels throughout the, the rest of the year and going forward. Um, we're bringing down that, um, that, those lead times. We're, our, our goal is to try and get it down into the 10 to 13 week uh, kind of time frame. Um, but we're not there yet though. I mean, when, in terms of the guide that I've given you for Q3, even with prudence and all in this, that like, let's say if I took the prudence out, that you, we don't need a dollar of uh, Q3 hardware bookings to, to meet those numbers. So, so we're slightly over the 13 weeks, uh, probably around the 15 week um, mark in terms of what we have in, in backlog right now to deliver. So we, we won't actually get through all of the hardware orders that we have in backlog in Q3. Um, uh, the, but, but demand is still strong. We, we are, Reducing is probably around the 15-week mark now, but I'd like to get that down to 10 to 13. Okay, great. Thank you. And, and actually, just a, one more question on the hardware, if I can. Um, so, you know, the Palladium Z2 and the Proteum X2 have been out in the market now for uh, for a bit of time. When can we expect to see, you know, next-generation versions? Yeah, it's been only out for two years, you know, which is, you know, our last system, it was like, I don't know, five, six years between uh, between launches. And I think this one has been out two years. And even when we launched uh, Z2, X2, even Z1 and X1 were doing great. So, so right now we are pretty pleased with these systems. And we also can, you know, add, we keep improving the software. I mean, that's the hardware part of it. But we're always improving the software and compile times that go on top of these systems. So there is ongoing... Uh, software rhythm to them anyway, independent of the hardware. But overall, I mean, this phenomenal uh, performance by the team, and 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 we really appreciate all the support from our customers and partners. Yeah. Great, thanks very much, guys. We'll take our next question from Joel Ruling with Baird. Uh, great, hi everyone. Uh, uh, let me begin a bit of a leading question. Uh, so you're not talking about second half revenues growing 15% uh, 
the multi-year figures are closer to 15 to 16%. There's things on the horizon, you know, not next couple quarters, not trailing, but longer out, uh, just in terms of how your customers are acting and also what cadence is offering that would seem to be better than what you've experienced, both in terms of R&D intensity and your potential wallet share. So the question is, you know, instead of this 15% rate of growth being the high end of what historical growth rates have been, do you think we're maybe seeing a resetting of the overall base case for growth rates and what might be available to the company going forward? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, 15% growth rate and 19% EPS growth this is an amazing performance of any company. So we are very proud of the team to deliver this. And in terms of, uh, you know, design activity and R&D intensity, I mean, that is strong, if not getting stronger. So, of course, the, the overall, you know, macro environment is tough as it has been, you know, last year and this year. But we do see a lot of semi and system activity. So that's not any different than than before but we have to carefully monitor how things go in the future, of course. But overall, you know, we're pretty pleased to see the design activity. Yeah, Joe, and, and you'll see it in the, the you know, we publish our CFO commentary in the second page of the CFO commentary. You, you'll see that we, we track three-year taggers, that we're really trying to grow the account through a, a complete contract cycle. And, and most of our customers do, do three-year baseline contracts and then they do add-ons throughout the year. Uh, that co-terminate with those baseline contracts. So we think the three-year CAGR is a good metric. And, and if you look at the um, uh, at the revenue growth rate on a three-year CAGR basis, it's it's continuing to climb. Um, now, it's certainly the, the pace of acceleration seems to have slowed down this last two years in the kind of mid-team mark. That, um, but our focus is, is on driving revenue growth, profitable revenue growth, that um, are, um, we're using, we, we generate, huge amounts of, of cash flow and we, we, we aim to use more than 50% of that cash flow to buy back shares and reduce share counts. So we're trying to drive that non-GAAP EPS higher and be disciplined with our stock-based compensation. You'll see our stock-based compensation has consistently been around 8% of, of revenue and our non-GAAP EPS CAGR, um, it's been 20% or higher for the last five years. And, and with this 19%, um, rate that we're on now at the midpoint of the guide, that has us on track for 22% uh, EPS growth on a three-year CAGR basis for, for 2023. So, so our focus is really on bottom line. We, we care about EPS and, and growing EPS for investors and growing profitability. Um, and revenue growth is a means to an end, I, I guess, in that respect. But we're very, very pleased that it's, continue, it's continuing to increase. Okay, I think, thank you for that. Uh, and then one AI question, I think it's a follow-up on Jay and Ruben's question, but just, just the point about, uh, you know, it seems like maturity and uh, certainly customer experience, referenceability, you know, it's greatest in the back-end areas, it's, it's greatest around Cerebris. When you think about the pace of adoption on the things you've introduced into markets since last fall, do you think it's any quicker or slower than the experience with Cerebra so far? So, like, is there any reason that debug and verification would not be a, a prime candidate for your you know, underlying technology? I'm just wondering if you can maybe compare and contrast the uh, adoption curve. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, mean, I would say that the adoption curves are, at this point, I would say they are similar. Uh, you know, especially Vericium, as I said, verification is, is a big area. Now, they're easier in some sense that there is already a proof point that the customers have seen with, with Cerebras, so they are confident in, in our ability to deliver overall AI solutions. And same thing with, uh, with like Allegro X, you know, Virtuoso Studio. So, but also, you know, how it is in this uh, business, right? The customers have to try the things and, you know, they try it on some design, then they do broad adoption. So that's always there in, in new areas as well. So like with Vericium and, and, and Allegro. So I would say overall it is similar and there's a lot of interest. I mean, the amount of interest in other AI solutions apart from the, the original ones like Cerebrus is very high. But I would say the rate at this point is similar of adoption, yeah. and this is going to take some time, which is, which is, which is, uh, which is okay. You know, it's a, it's a natural process of trying and deploying. Uh, now, some areas, you know, it's faster, like hardware, because of the nature of the revenue recognition. But overall, the adoption is great and uh, moving along. So. Uh, great, thank you very much. We'll take our next question from Gary Mobley with Wells Fargo. Hey guys, thanks for sticking in my question. Uh, I wanted to ask about the commercialization of the you know five different tools under the Jet, Jet uh, I umbrella, and I wanted to, to confirm something. First of all, is that in baseline? Are those products in baseline license renewals with customers? Uh, or, or are you licensing those on a per chip design basis and have the tools made their way from price discovery phase to general availability? Yeah, hi Gary. So these all are new to products, so they're not in previous contracts. So all of these products have to be, you know, purchased and they can be purchased with the renewal or outside of renewal, as you know, in add-on business but they are not part of uh, existing contracts with customers. And, and you know, we have different business models in which we introduce these products, just like our base product. And then as we talk to customers, some of them are in very wide deployment. I think I gave an example in the prepared remarks on one hyperscaler. We had a very, very wide deployment of uh, some of these AI tools. Some are in the early stages, but these are all new products versus uh, what was there in previous contracts. Got it, got it. Thank you for that, Anna Ruth. And, and I wanted to ask about what you're signaling with the acquisition of the five business from, from Rambus. I know you went through a period of time where there was a decision to maybe refocus some of the energy, some of the investments from the company away from IP into areas like SDNA. Uh, and, and so now you're making an acquisition to, to grow, you know, some aspect of your IP business. And, and so I'm wondering if you can give us an update on how you view the IP business as, as it fits with the overall business in terms of investment and effort. Yeah, IP is an important segment of our business. It's like having, you know, five kids, right? We love, we love all the five kids, you know, all five lines of business. Now, one of them is, you know, very young and growing like SDNA, growing 20% plus. Uh, so that's great, but that doesn't mean we, we don't take care of all the lines of business. So IP, this was a great, great opportunity 
to to get a right team and and IT which is synergistic useful for for AI and uh, and 3D IC so I think at the right time we will make investments in all lines of business and we have done so you know like with virtuoso you know with digital uh, and so we want to make sure all lines of business are competitive yeah got it thank you Henry. We'll take our next question from Andrew Descasperi with Berenberg Capital Markets. Uh, Descasperi, thanks for uh, taking my question. I guess the, the first one I have is on the uh, individual segments. I noticed the IP business in Q2 came down a bit um, and also system analysis, uh, slight deceleration. Just wondering if there's anything you would call out uh, for those two and have a follow-up. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrew. But um, in, in relation to IP, we've always been expecting more IP to be delivered in the second half compared to the first half. It's uh, it's actually the opposite of 2022. I think we called that out on on last quarter's call as well. So so we're extract, expecting a stronger second half for IP, and IP can be um, uh, can be a bit lumpy at times because it's based on the timing of deliveries. Um, on system design analysis, that's we're very, very pleased with the strength of the of the growth there. Um, again, I mean, all of our businesses are growing strongly. I think when I look at the second half and the 15% that we expect our uh, our total revenue to grow compared to the second half of last year, I think uh, all of our businesses in, in, uh, are growing uh, double digits uh, in, in that outlook. Got it. And then uh, in terms of your guidance, if I were to look at the high end of the range for the top line specifically, it, what exactly would assumptions would we have to make for you to get there or even exceed it? Um, in other words, is there a potential for surprises, uh, positive surprises on that front? Well, I'm, I'm certainly I'm very confident in the in the second half guide, um, but uh, I'm now confident also in the in the uh, Q3 guide. I, I was less confident when I saw all those. Um, hardware deliveries time for kind of the final week and the final few days of, of Q3, and I didn't want to take the risk of including those in the Q3 guide. Um, but for the second half, I'm very confident in the second half. That, uh, and and as, we, um, as we reduce the lead times on our hardware, we found that uh, we've certainly seen the demand for our hardware strengthen, uh, and we have strong demand across, the growth, uh, across all lines of business. Um, and as Andrew would say, I mean, design activity is very, very strong. So... Um, I guess, you know, to the extent that we can continue to reduce those lead times and deliver hardware earlier, uh, that's certainly um, uh, a track to the higher end of the, of the guidance range uh, because with hardware, of course, you get revenue up front. But on the, on the software side, um, growth takes uh, uh, revenue takes longer to, to kind of play through because of the recurring revenue profile. Understood. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Harlan Sir with JP Morgan. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, looks like the full year is playing out as you expected, right? With the stronger second half in front of you, your semiconductor, your systems customers continue to drive strong chip packaging, system design activity, and roadmaps, um, especially in the area of accelerated compute and AI. And so, when you combine this with your pipeline, your renewal visibility. You guys have already said your second half bookings will be strong. Does the team believe that it can grow its backlog for the full year? Well, so in terms of backlog, I mean, we, we don't guide bookings, but um, 
But I don't think it's unreasonable to expect our backlog to, to end the year higher than here, where we are here. Our, our focus is really on growing the annual value of, of that backlog. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, like a three-year software contract worth $10 million a year will add $30 million to backlog and to RPO. And a, a two-year contract worth $12 million a year will add $24 million to backlog and RPO. Now, if it's a choice between those two options with one customer, we'll typically take the $12 million a year because $12 million a year is better than $10 million a year. And it'll be a lower booking number, a lower RPO number, but it'll show up in the, in the current RPO. And like I said earlier, that, I mean, if you look at our Q2 backlog, compared to Q1, it dropped down from 5.4 to 5.3. But if you look at our Q2 current RPO, that's the amount of our RPO that we expect to turn up in revenue in the next 12 months. At the end of Q1, with a higher backlog number, that was 2.7 billion. At the end of Q2, with a lower backlog number, that's gone up from 2.7 billion to 2.8 billion. So, so our focus is generally on the annual value. But uh, I think I understand where your question is coming from though, because first half was quite light for bookings. We expect the second half mm-hmm. to be stronger. I, I do think that it's, like I say, not unreasonable to expect RPO and backlog to increase from here. No, I appreciate that. And then for Annie Rude, you know, all of the leading-edge chip companies are moving to this chiplet, stack die-based packaging architecture. Their systems customers are adopting these very, very complex board designs, right? Here you guys benefit with Allegro, Integrity, Clarity, Celsius platforms. Can you just give us a rough sense on the revenue contribution from advanced packaging and board design, simulation, verification? Is it is it near 10% of revenues? And roughly how fast is this sub-segment growing on a year-over-year basis? Yeah, that's a good observation, of course. I mean, there's a lot of chiplet-based design activity, and, and it started in HPC, you know, all the high-performance computing, AI. And I think it will permeate to, you know, other parts, other verticals as well. And also all the leading foundries, as you know, are are now leading with their 3DIC kind of solutions. Uh, and, you know, we it shows up in different parts in our, in our business. It definitely shows up in SDNA because SDNA, you know, system design and analysis includes uh, both the Allegro and all the system analysis stuff, Clarity Celsius. And that's why you are seeing very, very strong growth. I mean, that's a very, very strong growth number, I, I would say, especially on a ratable mm-hmm. revenue model, right? So if you're growing 23% this quarter, you know, 20% plus for the last several years. So a lot of it is driven by this 3DIC chiplet because the system market is interesting, right? The thermal market and the electromagnetic market traditionally. But a lot of the new growth is this intersection of chip and system, which is by nature 3DIC and chiplet. So we have a lot of customers buying, you know, thermal solutions specially targeted for chiplets because that's a big thing, or electromagnetics targeted for chiplets. So we definitely see that in SDNA. And then we continue to see that in our regular business, you know, like Virtuoso or or Innova Mm -hmm. and and digital. But I still think this is still early inning. You know, it's still the, you know, baseball analogy, still the second, third inning for, for 3DIC. And it will become the dominant technology. I mean, of course, the two nanometer and 1.4 nanometer, all that will be critical, but they will be all integrated on chiplets and interposers uh, going forward. So, and I, what I what I think what is important to remember, you know, of course, a lot of uh, people talk about chiplets and 3D ICs, but we are uniquely positioned. So, not only for chip implementation, but then also for package design, 
we provide the leading we are the leading software provider for for package design with allegro and then all the thermal and system analysis tools so i think cadence is i believe very uniquely positioned to benefit from chiplet and 3 dic well thank you for the insights we'll take our next question from john marco conti with deutsche bank Hi, Anna and John, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, so the first one is, I, I know you've touched on this a little bit. Could you share some more color on the usage of AI tools in system companies this quarter? Are any of the new wins related to AI tools for system, com for system customers? And, and how can we think about the acceleration of usage, not just um, leading nodes, but in the broader design space, even at more mature nodes? I think investors are thinking, what next? when taking the current use cases of the next two, three years, where the cost trade-off might not be as imperative as, as per se in the GP market. I imagine is this a function of better price discovery matched with higher adoption slash proven use cases? Yes, I think the application of AI has, uh, like, is, has, as you know, has both horizontal and vertical components, right? Horizontal is building out the AI uh, infrastructure. So those, in the beginning tend to be, you know, advanced node, GPUs and in and uh, also system companies. So the system companies we mentioned, because one of them is, is Tesla, right? So that's, a, you know, they have a server-side chip. I mean, they have talked about this, which is Dojo, and then also in the car, right, with full self-driving. So that I think is a, is a pretty, you know, pretty remarkable use of uh, AI that's only going to grow with other companies doing this, other auto companies doing similar things. And then we have several customers, you know, which are hyperscalers, which are building their own silicon for AI. I mean, this is well publicized also, and you can guess who they are. So we are continuing to work with them, and, and we had uh, several meaningful uh, expansions in Q2 linked to AI chips done by, you know, these large hyperscale companies. And now on the vertical side, it can apply to our, all of five main product portfolios for AI that like we talked with are built on Jedi. And those that that application in EDA and SDA is not node dependent because that can be in all, all nodes. And even the horizontal AI application I think it started advanced node, but it will go to mainstream node because of edge computing. You know, the edge computing doesn't need to be at three nanometer or two nanometer. But the, especially the vertical ones, when we put it AI in Virtuoso or Allegro or, uh, you know, veri verification, these are these can be applied across all the nodes, not just the advanced nodes. And the potential, the benefits are there we are seeing are, are independent of the nodes, you know. And to just to give you an example, you know, like in some cases, you know, depends on the design. And on some cases, we can get like 10, 15% PPA benefit from AI. And if you go from one node to another node, sometimes the benefit is 10 to 15%. So you're getting as much benefit from better AI algorithms as moving to a new node. So it also improves the efficiency at, at your current node. But I think in terms of applying it to EDA and system design and analysis, that will be node independent. Got it. Um, just a follow-up on hardware. Um, could you talk about the renewal cycles for hardware? Um, when do you expect customers to come back and buy newer generation of protein or palladium? And is this in line with the EDA cycle, i.e. two and a half to three years? Yeah, that's a good question. So typically what we see hardware purchases 
are tied to their design cycles and sizes of the chips, not necessarily tied to our, you know, when we introduce our new systems. You know, that can help, you know, when we go from Z1 to Z2. But typically, you know, any big customer will typically buy hardware every year uh, because of they are doing more designs or the design size is going up. If the design size goes up, then they need to consume more hardware. So, so that's why this hardware business has been so good over the last, you know, four or five years, uh, because it's not a, you know, one and done kind of purchase. You need to buy multiple times as you do bigger and bigger chips and more chips. So it, and then we have multiple lines now, palladium and protium. So it makes it much less cyclical that you would expect or what it was like few years ago. Yeah, there's a secular mm -hmm. demand for, for hardware capacity um, or emulation capacity. That's, and it's a pipeline business. So unlike our software business where you know when the existing contract expires and, and you know the renewal opportunity comes up, uh, typically we see, you know, in, in the past, we used to see a hardware customer come back and purchase a new system maybe, you know, two and a half, three years after the, the first system. But now they're purchasing new systems regularly because, like I say, demand is, is, is really, really strong. Uh, and there's just a secular trend in, in that demand for growth of emulation capacity. Got it. Thank you. Our final question comes from Joshua Tilton with Wolf Research. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, sneaking my two questions in here. Um, the first one, I want to go back to the to the full year guide. I know that you guys mentioned that you expect, I think, hardware to grow 15% uh, year over year in the second half. Um, but what about compared to the first half? Are you still baking in any conservatism uh, in the hardware guide relative to the strength in hardware that you saw in the first half of the year? So, so Joshua, just to correct that, the, the expectation for 15% growth in the second half is comparing second half versus second half for total revenue at Cadence, all our businesses. Um, we expect all of our businesses to grow by double digits in the second half compared to the second half last year. Um, some, more, some are stronger than others. Uh, in, in relation to hardware specifically, we've seen strong demand uh, pretty consistently for a couple of years now. Um, in Q1, we ramped up production capacity because lead times had gone over six months. Uh, we, we tried to address those, and it certainly helped uh, with uh, improved demand in, in the second quarter, and we're seeing more opportunities in the pipeline for the second half now. That gave us comfort to, to raise the guide for the second half of the year, but it is a pipeline business. Typically, People only put their opportunities into the pipeline about a quarter before they intend to uh, to purchase. In some cases, you you might get visibility, you know, four to six months in, but um, but it's it's a pipeline business. Um, right now, we have strong backlog for for hardware, and that's fed into our our decision to increase our our guide for the second half. But there is potential for that uh, for that demand to continue, and if, if we're going to keep production capacity at the levels we're at right now. Um, because we expect that demand to continue into the future. Thanks for uh, for clarifying that. And then just my second one. Um, in the prepared remarks, I think you guys used the word full flow and cerebrus in the same sentence. Uh, are you seeing a dynamic where maybe your AI tools are driving more of your customers to want to choose to go full flow with Cadence? Yes, absolutely. That's a very good observation. I mean, one trend that is driving full flow adoption is you know, advanced nodes when you move from seven to five to three to two. So that, you know, because things get more complicated and 
and this, and we architected this, you know, years ago to be, you know, full flow. So that helps. And second thing that helps is AI orchestration or Cerebrus because it can give better results if it is if the AI engine is able to optimize all aspects of the flow. So there is a natural tie-in to that, which is great for us. You know, this is a fabulous thing, you know, and same thing in other areas as well, like verification. But both these trends are are accelerating the deployment of full flow, advanced nodes and AI. Thank you very much. I will now turn the call back to over to Anarud Devkin for closing remarks. Yeah, thank you all for joining us this afternoon. It's an exciting time for Cadence with strong business momentum and growing opportunities in the semiconductor and systems industry. With a world-class employee base, we continue to deliver on our innovation roadmap and delight our customers and partners. On behalf of our board of directors, we thank our customers, partners, and investors for their continued trust and confidence in Cadence. Thank you for participating in today's Cadence second quarter 2023 earnings conference call. This concludes today's call and you may now disconnect.